I didn't claim to be an artist, but I can weld. <laughs> They're laughing at me. Romans, 11th chapter, verse 17 through 24. And in this context, Paul is dealing with the Jews feeling rejected as a nation. And we've already saw in our previous study last week the fact that the reason they were rejected and the reason they were cut out from the branch, uh, the branches were cut out from the tree, is because of unbelief. So here they lie, wondering how come God rejected them. God didn't reject them, they rejected God. And because of it, God rejected them. He cut them out of the tree of hope, the tree of life, and he grafted in some of the Gentiles, the Gentile nation. And Paul's given reason to these Jews about that matter. Because these uh, Gentiles were grafted in because of belief, by faith they were grafted in. By their faith, they believed in God. These Jews had always stood in rebellion, as uh, Stephen said in Acts 7.51. He told the Jewish hierarchy, the whole nation, he said, you do always resist the Spirit of God. Now, you know, before he said that, what he done? In that whole chapter, in 50, uh, 50 verses or better, he showed the Jew his history and how he had always been in trouble with God because of his unbelief. But God, in his patience, tolerated and tolerated and tolerated him because there were a nation that he chose among all the nations of the world he chose Abraham to be that nation. And he chose him because he had plans of working out a shadowy figure of what he really planned so that it could be established in a time-space dimension known as history. And that way it can't be denied. The denial comes on the part of the agnostic, uh, the atheist, and all of them. They can't deny it because it's in prophecy. That's why the Lord and the apostles, when they taught, when they spoke to the Jews that knew the law, because, well, they didn't understand it altogether, but they had heard it read every Sabbath. And that's why the apostles and the Lord always proved their point or their actions by prophecy. That's why Peter began proving Jesus to have all authority in Acts 2. You remember how he began? He addressed that nation that was gathered there from Jews from every nation under heaven, verse 5 says. And what did he say to them? He said, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Now there's his subject. Jesus of Nazareth, a man that was approved by God among you. Not out in some distant place, but among you as a nation. He proved him among you by miracles and signs and wonders which God did by him in your midst, as ye, also, as ye yourselves also know. 
There wasn't a Jew out of all them hundreds of thousands that were there stood up and said, we don't know that. They knew it. It was in their teeth. When Jesus came back to Jerusalem, what did all them Jews do? They welcomed Jesus into, into Jerusalem as a king, a mighty king, because they saw his power. His power over nature, his power over disease, his power over quality, his power over quantity, his power over the demons. They saw his unique divine power, and they thought, man, if we, if we just had this fellow on our side, we could whoop the fire out of them Romans. They didn't want deliverance from sin that he came to do. They wanted deliverance from Rome. And so they couldn't deny the charge that Peter gave to them. As ye yourselves also know. And then he began to explain. Verse 23. Him, speaking of Jesus. Being delivered by the determined counsel and the foreknowledge of God. You've taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God raised from the dead. For it was not possible to him that he should be holding of it. Had no sin. Sin is a result of Our death is a result of sin. He, had not. he wasn't beholding of death, so God raised him. And then, where does Peter go with his argument? Back to Old Testament prophecy. You see why God established his plan in a shadowy figure in the Old Testament? So it could be used in the New Testament. And the agnostic, uh, the atheist, uh, the skeptic, he can't say, well, they're just written by men. Hogwash. Hogwash. It was written in a way that 1 Peter 1 verse 10 says, Even the prophets desired earnestly to look into the very words that they spoke. They didn't understand them. They spoke little bits and pieces of a puzzle that culminated in Christ and the kingdom that he established. And the apostles and the Lord put that puzzle together before our eyes in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels. And so it was proven by prophecy. We're going to see tonight that the things that Paul talks about, uh, them Jews being torn off, uh, cut out of the, out of the vine, and the, Jew, and the Gentiles being grafted in, was spoken by God hundreds and hundreds of years before in prophecy. And so Paul said, look at here, you've been reading this all your life. You've been hearing it read in the synagogue. You didn't know what it meant, but here it is, clear as a bell. They saw it. Because God wanted them to see it, he revealed it in a way they could see it. All right, so what we're looking at in verse 17 through 24 is this picture. It's a warning for the Gentiles. Last week we saw that the Gentiles were grafted in to this Jewish branch of Christianity. Jesus was a Jew. The religion was a Jew. You read the Old Testament, it wasn't written to Gentiles. It was written to Jews. It was written by Jews. It was prophesied by Jewish prophets under the Jews. It, does it have significance to you and I, Gentiles? Oh, absolutely. 
but it was written to Jews. And so here is a warning to the Gentiles. He's going to talk about uh, not them have no reason to boast because they're grafted in. And they got to put pride aside and they cannot have these presumptions that they had. And then he talks about Israel's possible future. They can all be saved, but it's going to be by faith, isn't it? And so, as he talks about this remnant of Israel, and I'll draw again the illustration we've been using. Here is all Israel. Here is a small circle concept of a remnant. <coughs> now the remnant is a remnant that's set, accepted by God because of why? We saw it last week. Because of their faith. As the scripture says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And it truly is. And like Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you shall die in your sins. I forget where He said that. It's in the Gospels. But what about Israel? They stood in unbelief. That's why as a nation they crucified Jesus. All right, so... uh, In verse 25 through 32, picking up on the end of this, Israel's possible future. And we'll get into that as we go, but let's start and get into our uh, text. So here's warning for the Gentiles. Chapter 11, verse 17 through 24. If you take this outline home, you can pretty well work it out yourself. It's not a a great mystery, but you have to spend some time with it if it's important to you, if you really want to know. And people who really want to know, really want to know, don't they? And they get into it. Now Paul has spoken a word concerning and to the Jews. I think it only right he turned that coin over and talked to the Gentiles, and that's what he's doing right here. And that's exactly what he does. In verse 17 through 24, he has warnings for the Gentiles. He gives warning to the Jews in verse 11 through 16 over the fact that they have fallen, they've stumbled, uh, they've been cast away, and they need to repent and return. But they can. But it'll be based upon repentance. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus told them, Jews, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Is repentance important? Absolutely. For salvation. But now he's going to give warning to the Gentiles in verse 17 to 24. First of all, he's going to warn them against boastfulness in verse 17 and 18. And I've got the scriptures up there if you want to write them down or take a picture of them or whatever. He says, but if some of the branches were broken off 
And thou, being a wild olive, that's who the Gentiles would be in this analogy, this figure, thou being a wild olive, were grafted in amongst them, and didst become partakers with them of the root of the fatness of the olive tree, glory not over the branches, but if thou gloriest, it is not thou that uh, bearest the root, it's the root thee. What's he saying? Look at this beautiful picture. We can learn an awful lot about Christianity right from this. Now, the, the temptation would be to glory over these branches that are laying over here, withering. I got a picture of them laying there. You know, to be boastful and say, you know, I must be a pretty good fella. Uh, I'm in the tree. And look at these branches. They're not even in the tree. I must really be worthy. Boasting, isn't it? I must really be a fruitful fella to be here grafted into the tree. Look at these wretched uh, wretches of Jews over here that have been cut off and now they're withered and died. And I'm in the tree. Isn't that rather stupid when you make that statement uh, uh, in the illustration according to I'm a fruitful branch? We do that, don't we? Oh, I'm fruitful. Look what I do for the Lord. Boasting, isn't it? Isn't that really rather stupid when you make that illustration according to bragging? I mean, the fact that branches are over there dying proves that the power is in the root. Otherwise, they wouldn't be dying, would they? Where does a branch get its, its nourishment? Where does it get its fruitility from the root? We need to remember that and quit bragging about how good we are and all that we do. I've heard preachers till I wanted to vomit over my lifetime get up and tell about all the congregations that they started and all the souls that they've saved. That's the biggest bunch of bull that was ever pumped. They're bragging. And they give no credit to the root, which is Christ Jesus. He's the one that worked out our salvation. We wear his garments, not ours. <clears throat> First Corinthians 1, verse 30. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21, right? The fact that branches are over there dying proves that the power is in the root. If the power is in the branches then these branches would still be bearing fruit, wouldn't they? But they're not. Isn't it ridiculous? I mean, Paul has a way of making illustrations that are graphic, doesn't he? Now, that's a... Uh, that's a ludicrous thing for a person to say, Hey, I'm a fruit bearer. No, the root is, not you. The root is. The root is the fruit bearer, not you. All right. Uh, the root bearer.
and you do not bear the root. Now I want us to stop right there and turn over to John the 15th chapter because we're going to get rid of boasting if there's any amongst us right now. We're going to see the same illustration, the same picture, as Jesus declares himself to be the vine and we are the branches. And I want you to see every word that he says about it. John, the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said, I am the true vine, and my father's is the husbandman. Now what does a husbandman do? He prunes back. You ever seen them prune and cut off big old branches out of these bushes as they go, go kind of wild in their growth during the summer? Why do they do that? So they can produce more fruit, better fruit, richer, sweeter fruit. God is a husband that prunes you and me back so that we can do the same thing. All right. <clears throat> My father's a husbandman. Every branch in me, there they are, that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. That's what Paul's telling these Jews. You were taken out of the uh, out of the branch. Uh, you were taken out of the uh, fruit tree because you you didn't believe because of unbelief we saw that last week and every branch that beareth fruit he pruneth it that it may bring forth more fruit now where's any boasting in that if the if the opportunity and the ability to convert and teach men and women the truth of God's word and bring them to Christ Where'd the power come from? The root. It didn't come from me. It didn't come from you. We're merely vessels, merely vessels of whom we've surrendered to Christ Jesus. Because when we were baptized, what happened to us, supposedly? We died in the baptistry. The old man died and we rose to walk in newness of life. And here's that newness of life. Following Jesus and allowing him to work through us. All right. Verse 3. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can't without Christ, can you? Can the, can the branch do anything without the vine, or, uh, without the root? No, it can't. And with that root, can it bring forth much fruit? It can if God wants you to. I mean, if he, if he, when you obey the gospel, you begin to allow walk with God. 1 John 1 7. As you walk with God, it's a walk of maturity. It's a walk of learning and growing and developing and, and practicing righteousness. And along that way, you're producing fruit. 
but it's the root that gets the credit, isn't it? How many scriptures have you read in the New Testament that talks, and the epistles particularly, about our glorying is in Christ, not in us? Not in what we do, what Christ has done through us. And we ought to feel privileged to be able to serve such a master as the Lord Jesus Christ. The King of Kings, as Revelation declares him to be, and the Lord of Lords. There is no greater. He's the creator of the world. First John, or John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, was God. By him all things were made. Without him was not anything made that is made. Verse 14. He became flesh and dwelt among us. This one who was God and the creator. And we beheld his likeness as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. All right. Verse 6, if any man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. And that's what happened last week to the Jews. And the Gentiles were grafted in because of their belief, because of their faith. Uh, and these branches are withered, and men gather them and cast them into fire, and they're burned. If ye abide in me and my word abides in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it should be done unto you. Is the Lord with us? Yeah, he is. That's as far as we need to read. That is powerful. That is weighty. Laying there to be understood by you and I so that we never boast. We have no place to boast. Our boasting, if it is, we have a place to boast, but not of ourselves. Our boasting is in Christ Jesus, the Lord. All right. <clears throat> So, uh, I think we need to stop, really, giving exaltation uh, to branches, don't you? Sometimes we, hire, we hold a preacher in high esteem that we shouldn't. He's just another man. But who do we hold, should hold in esteem? <laughs> the root. What gives him his message? What gives him an understanding? What gives him the power to drive on in the face of adversity? What has given men the privilege and the power to stand in the face of death and declare the Lord Jesus? It's the root. Our glory is in the root, not in us. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll bring forth much fruit. He didn't say a little much fruit. Because who's your who is the husbandman that prunes us back? God. You reckon he knows anything about fruitage and pruning? I think so. You've probably heard preachers preach along the lines of the idea of let go and let God. We, we don't like to do that because we're pretty fastened into this world we live in. I've seen about 83 years of it. You get fastened in, don't you? You get sucked in. And you draw in tight as though it was the only thing there. Is it? Uh... 
So I think we need to uh, stop really giving exaltation to branches uh, for bearing fruit. What else is a branch for but to bear fruit? The branch doesn't bear the root. The root bears the branch. And the root determines the fruit, not the branch. And so whether I'm a successful preacher or not, I don't worry about that. I preach the Word. There's one passage in the Bible that says that God's Word does not return to Him void. You know why? Whether I speak it or you speak it, whether it's accepted or rejected, doesn't matter. God's Word does not return to Him void. It either convicts or converts, one of the two. Have you done God's will and bared fruit? If, it, if the whole world rejects you, yes, you have if you're preaching the Word. You've done what God intended for you to do. I heard a preacher ask another one one time when he come back after a week's meeting somewhere, I think it was Illinois, said, did you have any success? He said, yeah, 100%. <laughs> well, what the guy was wanting to know is how many did you baptize? Hundred percent, success. And the guy looked at him. He said, "They heard the word of God, and what they done with it is their business. But they heard the word of God. He preached the word of God. Hundred percent success. And the root determines the fruit, not the branch. The proof of that is." Cut the branch off. Does it bear any fruit? No, it's laying on the ground dying. So Jesus said, if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and allow God to be the husbandman over you, and he will be, you produce much fruit. In Hebrews 12, whom, I think it's verse 5, whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastens every son that he receives. And if you endure chastening of the Lord, his scourging is chastening, then you're a son and not a bastard. Otherwise, you're a bastard. You can't claim God as your father. I know you've read uh, Hebrews 12, but there's the picture there in the first of that chapter. All right, you and I need that lesson. Gentiles needed that lesson, see, and that's why Paul's writing this the way he is. Now, we might have been looking down our nose at the Jews, you see, but I kind of had an idea Paul was going to get to us sooner or later, and he did, right here. Being boastful. There must be something unique about America, because look at all the fruit we bear. No, there's, there's boasting, isn't it? The root bears the fruit. The branch does not bear the fruit. You don't need to worry about being fruit-bearing. You need to worry about being attached to the root. That's all you need to be worried about. And you bear fruit. He'll give you the love to appreciate anyone and everyone. You know, I've thought a lot about a lesson 
that would make known very clear that I have no enemies. I have absolutely none. I got people that don't like me. I got people that actually in some parts of the world would kill me if they had a chance. But I have no enemies. I don't want any enemies because I've been with the Lord and what did the root supply to me? A love that passes all understanding. A peace that goes beyond description. And so where's the boastings with the root, isn't it? Isn't it? I'm sure glad I don't have to grind my teeth over somebody I think is my enemy. I know I have them, but I love them. And I'd do anything if I could change their mind and have them obedient to Christ. I don't care what they've done. Neither does he if they repent. Otherwise, like Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, you shall all likewise perish. So if you attach to the root, you're going to bear fruit. I mean, that's a fact, isn't it? Abide in me, Jesus said, and you shall bring forth much fruit. One is an admonition, and one is a promise in that text. What's the admonition? What does he admonish us to do? Abide in me. So what is the promise? And you will bear much fruit. You know why we don't bear much fruit? And I'm not talking about necessarily you. I'm talking about the church at large. You know why you don't see as much fruit as you could see? Because they don't abide in the Lord. Oh, they show up on Sunday. They eat the cracker, drink the juice. And that's about the limit to their salvation. They're like a vine that's almost cut from the branch. The Lord wants to save them, and their faith is kind of like that, you know. They don't trust the Lord. They don't really believe in what He said. But you abide in Him, and by faith in Him, and because of Him, you will bear much fruit. That's an absolute. That's not a you might. That is an absolute. So when the church isn't bearing fruit, what's in a community, if they're not being talked about, and they will be, they'll be cussed about too, won't they? Them lousy people up there, they're always causing trouble in the community, preaching that truth stuff. They don't like that. They don't like us speaking in behalf of the little baby and abortion. They don't like us speaking about the virtues of marriage as God intended it to be in the home and how God intended it to be. They don't like them things. Are we successful when we have enemies? The Lord had them. And we have them. Jesus told the apostles on one occasion in the Gospels, the world will hate you because they hated me. And they hated me because I hated my father that sent me. Why don't they obey the truth? Because they loved, Jesus said they loved right. They loved uh, huh? They love darkness. They lo- yeah, thank you, Paul. They love darkness rather than light. You ever wondered what the attraction is in the tavern? It gets an old boy down there every evening after work, and he sits there till the bartender runs him out at two o'clock in the morning. He likes darkness. You ever been in a bar? They're dark. There's a reason for that. Uh, this old huzzy over there 
looking for a mate or somebody to play with. She's ugly as sin. She's got to have darkness. What about the other the guy looking for her? Darkness. Like dark, darkness. Covers a multitude of things, doesn't it? I'm sorry for that. I got carried away there. Can you forgive me? <laughs> All right. <coughs> say now bear much fruit and ye shall abide in me we get it backwards don't we oh bear much fruit and you, you'll abide in Jesus no, 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 no that's the way we teach it but that's not what he said we don't teach too well he taught real well he said abide in me and ye shall bear much fruit now, if you don't bear fruit, you're cut out of the branch, out of the vine, which indicates that there's a part of of bearing fruit which is my decision. It's my decision to bear fruit, but it's the root that produces the what's needed to bear, bear fruit. Uh, the stamina, the vitamins. What, I don't know how you. Uh, the, what is it that flows up through there? Somebody talk to me. Nutrients. It's what? The nutrients. Nutrients, yeah. Yeah, that's a better description than what I was thinking of. <laughs> All right, so there is a part of bearing fruit which is my decision. And the part of bearing fruit is in my decision is I'm going to partake of the benefits of the root. That's my decision. What am I going to do? I'm going to partake of the benefits of the root. Now, how many professing Christians do you know that are willing 100% to partake of the bearing of the, uh, partake of the uh, benefits of the root? Oh, they'll come to church out of guilt feelings once in a while. I feel so guilty. I think I'll go to church. I haven't been there in a month or two, but I think I'll go this morning. I'm kind of feeling good about myself. What is the matter with us? We ain't reading the same book. So my part is to make a decision to let Jesus in. What did he say in Revelation? The last, I think it's the 19th chapter. No, the 21st chapter. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will, there's your decision. Let him open, and I'll come in and sup with him, and he with me. And I just love that artist that painted the picture centuries ago of that scene of Jesus standing at the heart of a man's, uh, the door of a man's heart. And if you look at it close, there's no doorknob on the outside. That artist was a very intelligent man. He knew that the Lord would not push entry, wouldn't force entry. He's not going to twist your arm. But he stands there throughout life. And every now and then he's not, you can hear him knocking. And if you open the door, the moment you open the door with your decision, you become 
the host, as you invite him in to your heart. And he's the guest. But the minute he steps through the threshold, it reverses. He becomes a host with all the provisions. And you're the guest in your own heart. There's the vine and the branches of John the 15th chapter. And so I'm the one that determines that I'm going to partake of the benefits of Jesus. I will to be used by the root. I determine to be used by the root. Where is this stymie and stay when someone is asked to help with the table or to, to uh, say a prayer in behalf of the congregation or lead songs if they can? Where, where's the hesitation in that? If you belong to the Lord, you're like Isaiah when he saw the glory of God in Isaiah the 6th chapter, verse 1 through 6. The Lord knew he was ready because he saw the glory of God. If we ever see the glory of God, we'll get ready like Isaiah. And God knew it was time for him to hear what he needed to say. God said, who'll go for me and whom shall I send? And Isaiah's over there like somebody in a classroom you see when he's a kid. Me, 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 me. And that's the way we'll be in service to the Lord. Now that breaks the uh, illustration of botany, doesn't it? Because the branch has no will of its own. It don't make no determination. It does what it was made to do. But since we're dealing with human branches that have a will of their own, what's our will decision? I will to be used by Jesus. I will it. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Maybe you haven't studied enough about his worth. Maybe that's your problem. But why is it we put everything ahead of the Lord? And we walk, we come to services, I'm going to go into this, yeah. We come to services with a chip on our shoulder. One of you brethren there in the church, you just knock that off and I'll not come back again because I'm going to pout and I'm going to go out and uh, I ain't going to see you for a while. Do you come here because of me or because of you? Or do you come here because of the Lord? I'm sorry, but if you guys didn't like me, I would I'd be grieved, but I'd still come to worship the Lord. Because I didn't come to worship you. I come to be your brother in worship. And I want to help you, and I hope you want to help me. What difference does it make if we have a difficulty between us? We can work it out, can't we? If we love one another. Well, that's, that's not Romans, but that's Myrtle 4, verse 6. You get that once in a while. <laughs> so he says if God didn't spare the, na the natural branches you think he's going to spare the wild olive branch that's been grafted in that's his word to these Gentiles if you become an unbeliever a proud fellow was the Jew cut off because of pride well 
You reckon he's going to spare the Gentiles who is as proud as the Jews? <coughs> Why, he won't even think twice about him. He thought twice about the Jews, God did. That's Paul's argument. <coughs> if he didn't spare the natural branches who uh, you know he wanted to spare because of the fact of their potential fruitfulness, do you think he's going to spare the wild olive tree who didn't have his potential, speaking of the Gentiles? And so there's an admonition against pride. He's already given a warning against boasting. Now he gives them a warning against pride. And then last of all in verse 22, there's an admonition against presumptuousness. Listen to it. Behold then the goodness and the severity of God toward them that fell, the Jews, the natural branches. They, were, they got severity, didn't they? They got cut out. They fell. But toward thee, God's goodness, if, 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 if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also should be cut off. So don't presume simply because you're in the tree that you're going to stay in a tree. That's a problem with a lot of professing Christians. Well, I was baptized 99 years ago and, and hell, I got to have salvation because I was baptized. <coughs> no, don't. You was cut out a long time ago for your unbelief. And so being in the tree only proves one thing. You have faith enough to be in the tree. Because being in the tree is a matter of faith. Except you believe that I am he, Jesus said. You shall die in your sins. And by that faith you will produce much fruit if you abide in me. And the abiding is because of faith. So it doesn't prove uh, you're going to stay. The thing that proves you're going to stay is your continues in God's goodness. That's what Paul said there in Acts 22. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also should be cut off. Can you, can you lose God's grace? Yes, you can. Can you fall from grace? Oh, absolutely. That's why the Hebrew writer, I don't know, there must be 15 times throughout the book that he warns them Jews that they can fall from grace. He does a pretty good job in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, doesn't he? Therefore. What's the therefore? It's based upon the wherefore that went before. What went before? He proved Jesus to be God. And he's the creator of the universe. And in view of that, he said, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard. Lest we like a ship drift away from the anchor. For here's why. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in the Old Testament, and every transgression received a just recompense of reward, how do you think you're going to escape if you neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, that great salvation, and was confirmed unto us by the apostles, then that heard him. And God's in there too. God also, verse 4, bearing them witness. How'd he do it? With signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost as God willed it. 
So if I continue in the grace of God, I continue in the goodness of God, then I'm going to continue, aren't I? Being in the vine. He says in verse 23, And they also, now here again is future possibilities, talking about the Jew. And they also, if they continue not in the unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And so what's cut them off, unbelief? What will graft them back in again? Repentance and belief. Now again, I'm told that botanomatically, uh, that's impossible what Paul presented here. But he's not dealing with botany. He's dealing with spiritual branches. The Gentiles, uh, the Gentile continues being of his belief and is contrary to the goodness of, uh, is continuing in the goodness of God, or they'd be cut off too. If he doesn't believe and continue in the goodness of God, he gets cut off. The Jew is out there withering and dying because of unbelief. Uh, the text says, if he continues not in unbelief, his unbelief. But turn that statement around. Uh, then he's grateful, he's grafted back in, for God is able to do that. He's able to graft him in. And so does the Jew need to feel rejected? No, he rejected God, and that's why God rejected him. You know people that's rejected God. And they're all melancholy. Well, he just don't like me. They ain't about to change. They ain't about to listen to the Lord. They've got their mind made up of what they can, how they can save themselves. I've talked to many a welder on the jobs that I've worked on. And I've always got this proud, arrogant reply. Well, I think as long as you keep the law of Moses, you're okay. They don't even understand about the nature of law. That it condemns, that's all it does. No one is ever saved by law. Romans 3, verse 7 and verse 9 proves it. Nary a one is ever saved by law. Verse 20 of Romans 3. Uh, Therefore, by the deeds, by doing the law, there shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. That's what it says. For we're saved by faith. And so there again is a word of comfort. Uh, one word of warning to the Gentiles and a word of comfort to the Jews. They can be grafted back in. Verse 24. I'm trying to... Yes, I think we can finish in my notes where we've got... We'll be ready uh, for this next week. I'm sorry it takes it long. But we, we've got to understand this or we're just <coughs> spitting up a rope. You know what I mean? Ain't going anywhere. We've got to take the time to consider these things. That's why it takes so long. Your question is, is it, do you think it's worth it? That's only you can answer. All right, verse 24. 
For if thou wast cut out of that which is by nature a wild olive tree, remember Romans 1, verse 18 through 32? What about the Gentiles? They're the wild olive tree that's been grafted in. Or they're the branches of a wild olive tree. Are they better than a Jew? Turn to Romans 1 and let's begin in 18 and read verse through verse 32. What's Paul doing in Romans 1? Uh, well, he goes through three chapters on this. He's showing that the whole world stands guilty before God and needs Christ's <coughs> redemption. He starts by showing the Gentiles under sin, all under sin. And he's showing... Uh, beginning in chapter 2 and following into chapter 3 that the Jews are under sin. And he concludes that there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 Not a Jew and not a Gentile. You want to see the wisdom of man? You want to see where man's wisdom leads nations of people and homes of people? We're going to read about it. It starts out for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Why is his wrath revealed? Because man just can't stand it until he, he he is not sufficient within himself. The proverb writer said, it's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Why do you think in Genesis 6, Adam's sons saw a need to call upon the name of the Lord? They stumbled and fumbled around as nations of people. There were millions of them then. By the time you get to Genesis 6, they screwed up so bad that at least they were honest enough to admit it. And they said, listen, we need God's direction here. We're not sufficient in and of ourselves. And that's what the proverb writer said. It's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. It isn't. Here's what happens to nations the whole world of man from the very beginning still does today. Romans 1 verse 18. <coughs> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You remember in 1 Corinthians you remember the problem with man? It says about man there at Corinth, as Paul wrote to him. He said, uh, The wisdom of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. No, he said, Excuse me. The foolishness. God doesn't have any foolishness. But Pauline's argument says if God was foolish, it would be wise, it would be uh, stronger than men. And uh, the weak, uh, and well, he's showing that God revealed himself through uh, the weak things of this world. Things that, to bring down the wise and the mighty. So don't go to Harvard and Yale and to Princeton and Cambridge and the colleges of the world to find wisdom because God has destroyed it. He chose just the opposite. Read it sometime. 
Because his point is that the gospel is foolishness to them that perish, but to you and me it's the power of God and the salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. But here he goes ahead talking about man, particularly the Gentiles here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Has God showed it to men? Has God showed it to you and you and you? Yes, he has. His love demands that he shows it to the world. That's why the Great Commission go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's why God's been in tune with all the nations throughout time. He's given them a free run as he preached to them. said, don't do that, don't do that. Like with your son, you know, you say, son, don't do that. That's not the way to go. He don't listen. He gets to work. <laughs> don't listen. And that's when God pulls out the belt and his little hind turns red real quick. And his eyes bubble up. And he's over in shock. <laughs> well, anyway. For the invisible things of God for the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Specifically, his divine power and Godhead, so that man is without excuse, because God has showed it to him. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Oh, don't you relate to that? Can't you see that out in the world where you live? There's good friends of yours. There's relatives of yours. They know God exists by the creation. They know of his power when they see what he created. And the fact that he continues to provide day by day in every way in the milliseconds of time. And yet when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. And nor were they thankful. You know people that's not thankful? Well, it's just owed to me because I am so pretty. Oh, oh boy. It just makes you want to bone it. That spirit of unthankfulness. You couldn't make a carrot or a pea or a green bean. You couldn't make nothing except to be provided by God. Don't, ain't you grateful? Where's your gratitude? Because of when, uh, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. Oh, you know. America's just the smartest people that ever lived on the earth. Boy, we're smart. Oh, we are. You you watch the news, don't you? You see what goes around. Oh, I won't get into that. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made unto corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. And for this reason, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now here he's going to talk about homosexuality and lesbianism. He says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped uh, and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. For this cause God gave them up to vile afflictions. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men working with men, that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their own error, which was meek. And that even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them uh, over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Will God give you over to a reprobate mind? Yeah, he will. Has God done that in the world you live in? Yes, he has. Have you had your eyes open and seeing your neighbors and your friends and your relatives and people around you? Yeah. Have you seen the damnation of sin amongst your community? Certainly. I ain't going to read the rest of it. But when he finishes in chapter 1 with the Gentiles and how they failed all the way through history, he turns to the Jew and he shows how they failed all the way through history. And his conclusion is found in the third chapter. There's none righteous, no, not one. Not one. Oh, but they had the law. Somebody had to be saved by law. No. No. Not one. Did God provide for them throughout the the fourth the six thousand years up until present? Yeah. Pretty faithful God, isn't he? Pretty loving God, isn't he? He's fed you, hasn't he? Our time's up, so I'm going to finish with this story, a true story. Sometimes I don't think you guys like my stories, <laughs> but I'll try it one more time. Don't want to offend nobody. But I'm working in a welding shop over at Big Pasco. Welding table, me and this fitter welding nuclear piping out on the area. It's very critical. After Thanksgiving, we came back to work, and boy, he began to describe the meal that he had. That old man could describe a meal. Got out here, yeah, he knew about food. And he had me slobbered on myself, and it was 15 minutes to lunch time. <laughs> He talked about the meal and all the succulents of everything on the table. He was an atheist. I said, well, uh, surely you thank God for that. No, I made that. Oh, you did? Well, listen, about 15 minutes, we're going to go eat. Why don't you make that dinner that you described right here on this welding table? We won't even have to go to the lunchroom. We're going to sit down and really pig out. And he just looked at me. He got the point. He couldn't produce nothing if his life depended on it. He is totally dependent upon God. But is he thankful? No. Well, I was hoping we'd get through that, but we're not going to make it so... stuff right there. Um,
Well, let's go through our customary practice of standing as we sing our invitation song. It just sounds better when we get get our lungs opened up when we stand, can't we?